Hey, yo, and here we go. Another episode of We Talk Music is on the air and in your ear. Once again, I am Moxon, and I have with me the king of the casters. He is Mr. Brett Podcast. Brett, why don't you take the uh, pleasure of introducing today's wonderful guest? That's right. Well, we, again, you know, on this show so many times, uh, we like to say we love good music. Well, we have more good music for everybody today. We have Bob Madsen. He is he is from the Grafenberg Disciples, here to talk about uh, the new the new single, Cry a Million Tears. And uh, so, Bob, you play the bass, you produce, you songwrite. I mean, you're kind of a do-it-all guy. Direct music videos. Yeah. yeah, yeah, directing music videos, that's right. I mean, yeah. I like to say that I play the uh, Fisher-Price big guitar for stupid people. <laughs> well, you play it well. I mean, so <laughs> if, if you're going to do something, like, I mean, then, then play it well. There you go. Yeah, so uh, yeah, this this band gives me a lot of leeway um, that I'm, I'm able to try a lot of different styles of music, a lot of different techniques, a lot of different genres. Um, and I get to write, I get to produce, I get to engineer, I get to work with some amazing musicians. And recently, I like, like this video uh, that you were talking about, the Cry a Million Tears video, it gave me the opportunity to step into a director's role and a screenwriter's role, so, which is always a lot of fun to see uh, one of your songs. And all of my songs have a tendency to tell stories. I'm not one of those, you know, sort of pontificating songwriters. I, I like to tell stories. And to be able to see a story that you wrote, take on a visual format so that people can actually see what you were thinking about when you wrote the song uh, is uh, is particularly gratifying. And in this case, so it's so it's Hans's uh, acting debut. I mean, yes. how did you talk him into that or did you need to? Well, he's a ham from <laughs> beginning to end. OK, so it wasn't really a, a, an arm twisting thing, but um, he was very leery about it. Uh, for you know for a lot of good reasons uh, um and what i was the, the saving grace on this was the fact that i had uh, put together an amazing crew that was on set at the time to help me get through this i mean you know when you're going to first start riding a bike you get training wheels okay and so i had some of the best training wheels in the industry there with me uh i had an amazing line producer by the name of arlene barshinger and then, of course, uh, Hans's co-star was Eve Moreau, who's been in NCIS and Cypher and The Oath and a whole bunch of different movies. And so these are real pros, okay? And um, I remember when we first started off on the process, we took the first take and, you know, Hans was, ha was ha had to emote and, you know, really get into character. And let's just say the first take wasn't really up to snuff. It was a little stiff you know and so um we yelled cut and i was kind of going what, what am i going to do and then arlene just sort of took the reins she went over and she started talking really soft to to hans the two of them had this little you know sort of whispered conversation and all of a sudden i could start seeing tears show up in hans's eyes and it's like uh oh what what the hell's going on over here and so she comes back, sets herself behind the camera, you know, says, okay, action. And it was phenomenal. Essentially, what she had done was she had helped him method act. She had helped him go back into sort of, you know, these wells of pain that we all have in our lives and draw on them for the character and bring them back to the surface and 
work through that and project that to the lens. And the thing is, Hans and I are, are very good friends. I mean, he's, he's one of my dearest friends. So I happen to know where some of those wells of pain are and what caused them. And so here I am watching, you know, arguably one of my best friends putting himself mentally through all this anguish and pain and hurt. And it was very, very difficult for me to watch, really, uh, because I was empathizing. And what was even worse was to get to the end of the take and go, that was great. That was amazing. Can we do one more? (laughs) I felt like such a heel. It was bad. (laughs) But he did. And then... um, so what we did in that video was we had the general scenes, we had the general ideas, but we didn't have dialogue because, of course, you can't hear any dialogue. And so uh, the funny thing is when you're watching it, when they're yelling at each other in the video, she's actually yelling instructions to him. Okay, now yell at me. Okay, now, now do this. Now do this. <laughs> Back and forth. I'm sure there's somebody out there that's able to read lips and they're just going to be laughing their ass off as they watch this thing. But for the rest of us, it just looks like this this couple where their emotion, emotional relationship is just sort of unraveling and it's becoming more and more toxic to the point where she actually has to leave. Yeah. That's it's, actually I mean, very interesting. I was, I was wondering about the fight scenes, you know, I mean, is it, is it, you know, just if it's, especially if it's improvised dialogue, is it just go ahead, say whatever you want. Nothing is going to offend. Nobody's going to hear it anyways. But if it's instructions, <laughs> yeah, it you was, know, the, it was, the, you know, she would, she would come up thing. with something. She would come up with something and then she would yell something at him. Uh, quite insulting, actually. And then <laughs> she would say, OK, now yell back at me. You know, and, and he would yell and they, they just did this back and forth. And the worst part was we were all cracking up behind the camera and we had to keep quiet. You know, not that it would end up there, but we didn't want to interrupt this process. You know, Arlene and. And the other camera guy and I were looking at each other just going, oh, my God. <laughs> but it turned out. It turned out really, really well. It really did. It's a really wonderful video. I mean, it, the song, the only barrier the song could have is getting people to hear it. Because I'm sure once people hear it, they're going to love it. It's wow. Thank a, you. a terrific song. Thank uh, you. I, a lot. It reminded me of, of uh, some of my favorite songs from the past and uh, favorite artists. And yet then I went and listened, you know, to more of your work. And it's like so buried uh, you know and it is it is it difficult to choose a single when you it's difficult to choose one that's going to represent the band's style completely you know so yeah, how do you kind of go through that process yeah yeah exactly. uh, that's actually a really really good question because each of these songs is a little bit like your children so how do you choose you know what child to put first you know um in this case on this new album uh breathing through my ears which is going to be out april 7th uh this year is um it, it was recorded most mostly through covid and a little bit before and we knew we had a number of really great songs on there and so it was it, it damn near came down to throwing darts at a dartboard to see which one we were going to use uh but we knew that this one was the right length. Uh, it had a really good feel to it. And what I set out to, to accomplish when writing it was sort of a classic breakup song, this sort of classic R&B, Mark Cohn style, uh, you know, love lost, sad song. Okay. The ones that we 
you know, the Elton John wrote all, all about, right? Um, uh, I guess that's why they call it the blues. And um, <laughs> but I wanted to do it in a little different way. I wanted to put some of my other influences in it, uh, which are guys like Derek Dick from Marillion or Tony Carey uh, from Planet P or Rainbow. And, uh, and of course, his solo projects as well. But these guys tell stories and I wanted it to have a certain story element to it. And um, we just got together and started writing this, this part and it just came together beautifully. And of course, when Greg Bissonette came in to put the drums on it, everything just glued together. It just like vacuum sealed right together. And, um, and then we were able to, to create this storyline that I had in my head into a visual representation of it. Everything just kind of came together the right way. Now, we do have, I think, three other videos in the can right now that we're just waiting for the right time to release them uh, based on you know what's happening with this and the, the success that we're having with this video and the, uh, the album release and you know all that kind of stuff. But literally, I went down to Los Angeles and uh, rented a place and uh, we ended up shooting two videos in one weekend, wow. two different songs, just stayed focused and got it done. Um, different cast and crew on each. And uh, well, the one constant was Arlene. She is actually my secret weapon, I have to admit. And then um, um, then we have another one that was put together for us by Dan Reed. Uh, it's a found footage video. Uh, Dan Reed of the Dan Reed Network. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, Love he's Dan. a great guy. Uh, yeah, we have uh, we actually have an album that Dan and I released earlier last year. Uh, under the name Operation Paperclip, called uh, uh, On the Streets slash Unhoused. And it's a charity album for homeless in California. Very nice. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So he and I, in part of that project, got to be good friends. And then I found out that he's an absolutely amazing videographer and video editor. Um, and just he's got you know one foot in the music world, one foot in the film world. And it's just real, real talent. And so he did a, a found footage for us uh, video that's going to be coming out in a couple months. And then um, we have something in the works right now with uh, famed sci-fi author Kevin J. Anderson. Oh, wow. Got all of the Clockwork Angels trilogy with Neil, uh, Neil Peart. Uh, there's a big Rush influence in the band. And um, Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, we have a, a really interesting comic book based video that's in development right now with some pretty big names that I'm really excited about. So we've got some more stuff coming. So stay tuned. It's going to be, it's going to be. When a you fun say ride. big names, you mean big name, big name comic book artists. Is that what yes. you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Big name oh. comic book artists as well nice. as um, guys that have worked for some of the biggest properties in the business, as well as the fact that, you know, Kevin has written comic books for 30 or 40 years and he's done some of the biggest titles you know, around and the two of them working together with my script and, uh, this song, uh, I think it's going to be very interesting. There's lots of fun Easter eggs and and plot twists and stuff to it. It's going to be good. Very nice. But anyway, back to what we were talking about. <laughs> oh no, that is what we're talking about. You know, that's I mean, right. It, it it it's it's fascinating to me. You don't seem to. I mean, the, so many artists we bring on here are talk to us about the songwriting and the rules of songwriting and the the structure and the and you can seem to throw all that out the window. I mean, you're not afraid to have a nine minute song, you know, you're not afraid to, to, to break the rules. And does that come partially from, you know, the rush influence? Very much so. 
uh, I'm a prog guy at heart. And um, I, my, so I had a mentor. His name was Tom Size. Tom was uh, the second engineer for Journey's Escape, the Frontiers albums. He also did almost all the Mr. Big albums. He did uh, YNT, Steve Miller, Santana, a lot of stuff for Journey. Um, <clears throat> but when I told him that, you know, when I, I once described myself as a prog musician, and he says, you know what, you know what prog musicians are, right? I said, no, they're just rock and roll musicians that can't edit themselves. <laughs> it's like, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I have a, I have a bit, a deep love for prog and it comes out in this, in this project, uh, in subtle ways. Um, this is my bucket list kind of band in terms of the other bands that I have. Um, whereas we don't have any rules, don't have any, you know, parameters. It's a matter of, well, what, what story do we want to tell and what kind of environment do we want to create for that story? And, you know, let's face it, the, the whole era of the three and a half minute single is gone. Okay. Nobody, nobody listens to radio um, the way they used to. Everyone's listening to podcasts. It's all streaming. And it's a new era of uh, actually where the audience is in the driver's seat. If they want to listen to a three and a half minute song, they're going to do that. If they want to listen to a nine minute song, they want to listen to, you know, uh, 2112, which is, you know, a whole side of a thing for, for a concept song. Um, they're going to do it. So they're in the driver's seat. So the rules are, the, the rule book has, has gone out the window. So then how did the Grafenberg Disciples form? It might have had to do with a bad case of food poisoning. But no, seriously. Um, As most things do. I mean, really. Exactly. You know, like... Actually, um, I think the, the seed of it happened when I saw uh, Hans Eberbach play in Sacramento. Uh, I'm up above Sacramento in the Sierra Foothills. And uh, I saw him play uh, at a club with, he has another band called Joy and Madness in uh, the Sacramento area. And they are like an eight piece horn funk band. And I was just, well, number one, I was blown away by their bass player. Okay. Uh, Rebecca Springer. And she, she has that Rocco Prestia eighth note funk or 16th note funk style down to a T and I've never seen anybody do it better. And so I was just absolutely blown away by her, but then this amazing dynamo gets on stage and starts singing in these like velvet tones and he's going falsetto and he's doing basso and he's going all, you know, the tenor all over the place and he's doing it so well. And he's got the entire audience just eating out of his hand that I think at that point, something went, Hmm, I need to stay in touch with these guys, you know? Um, and then fast forward a couple of years later, um, we had the opportunity to actually start working on some stuff. We, uh, I brought him in to help on a demo of a song and we both had such a good time and it turned out so well. Uh, and it ended up on the first album. The song ended up as, as is not even the demo. It just it became a final on the first album. Uh, that we decided, hey, we got something here. Let's see if we can flesh it out and bring on some more players and let's do this. So then we brought in guys like Jerry Mullins, or sorry, uh, Jerry Merrill. Boy, that was a Freudian. Uh, Jerry Merrill. Uh, we met through a guy named uh, Will Mullins. Anyway, Jerry uh, is from the Bay Area. 
my old friend from high school, Chad Quist, uh, who plays with Heart by Heart right now. Uh, it's a Heart tribute band featuring two of the original members, the original rhythm section of Heart. Um, and then, um, so he's on guitar, Jerry's on keys. Uh, I'm, I'm doing all the flippity flappity stuff. And then um, uh, I've been working with Greg Bissonette on drums for uh, several years on a number of my records. And so he was an immediate no brainer. This is the perfect guy for this. Uh, so that's really where the genesis of the, the band came. And so we just um, I had this idea for the name in the back of my head. And so we just plopped that name on it and said, let's do this. And so, like I said, we don't get together to write any particular format, any particular style. It's whatever we want to do. It's like, you know, one day I said, hey, let's do a samba. And sure enough, we did a samba. And there's a, there is actually a samba song on the first record called uh, Girl with a Broken Smile. That's actually one of my favorites. Um, you know, there's, there's one on the new album, Breathing Through My Ears, um, a song called Alone in Avalon that I don't even play on. Okay, it's a song <laughs> I wrote, but I don't even play on it. And it, I think it's actually one of my favorite things I've ever done. Because Hans stepped into one of the neat things about Hans is when he sings, he embodies a character. And so he stepped into this character of this song and just completely embodied that character. And so you can relate, you know, the listener absolutely relates to him. It's great. Great fun. When you're at a show, you know, where you where you first saw Hans, like, do you go afterwards and kind of introduce yourself or do you just kind of like file it away in your mind and then try to, you know, because I can only imagine that that even as a, a like real musician, it would be hard to go up to somebody and be like, so I got a band. I really dig you. So <laughs> actually, um, you know, Rebecca's probably going to kill me for this. But uh, first I approached her. Okay. And now you have to understand, Rebecca is all of maybe five, three, five, four, little tiny thing. And, you know, she plays a Fender jazz and the Fender is at least as big as she is. Okay. And she always dresses in the little schoolgirl outfit. Okay. And she's extremely energetic on stage. So she bounces around all over the place. Certain parts are bouncing more than others. <laughs> right. So when I came up to her and it's distracting. Okay. I'll admit. But when I went up to talk to her, I said, I introduced myself and I said, I just have to say that you have one of the most impressive right hand techniques I've seen ever. You've got the whole Rocco thing down. I can't do that. How do you keep up the stamina? You I mean, it, it's really, really good. Her response to me, and I quote, that's so cool. Everybody else just comments on my tits. <laughs> That's Rebecca. And, and the thing is, she really is one of the best players in the area. And she doesn't get anywhere near the credit that she deserves. She really is good. Much, much respect. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At that point, I think she's the one who put me in touch with Hans. And at that point, I think I was just looking uh, maybe to hire him for some studio work. But then we ended up becoming fat friends and, you know, going from there. Um, there is another funny story about Hans that actually bears repeating. Um, we had just got done recording the Neil Peart tribute song off the first album called No Words. And um, we were in the studio and the original video for that 
was supposed to feature a number of famous drummers playing along to the song, uh, wearing the you know ubiquitous little koofy cap that uh, Neil used to, to always play with or you know play while wearing. And so we were down in a studio in, in Los Angeles, and we had gotten done with everything because these guys were all top-notch players. Okay, they all got in and they just laid down their part immediately. They didn't have to. We didn't have to do double takes and triple takes and all this kind of stuff. So we we ended up getting really done really really early. And so I said, well, why don't I told the engineer Frank, uh, why don't we play back some of the tracks? Let's just show this what these these guys what we've been working on. And Hans was in the in the room, myself. And there was uh, John Mater and Jimmy Keegan, okay, two very well-known, very well-respected session drummers and, and live drummers down in L.A. And um, and so we played a couple of the tracks. They're listening to them. And they kept going, wow, listen to those vocals. That's an amazing vocal take. They're looking at Hans going, dude, you got a great set of pipes. And I'm sitting here. I'm going, what about the lyrics? <laughs> what about the song what about the bass player aren't I pretty too <laughs> immediately it was like Marsha 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 it's always about Marsha right so at that moment Hans became Marsha that has been his nickname ever since and he will continue he actually answers to it now <laughs> that's yes i saw that in the credits for no words and i was just like hmm, yeah, what is there that? must be a story absolutely marcia 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 it's all no no i can i can give him shit because he you know he and i are, are real good friends and and i know for a fact this is not really accurate it is completely tongue-in-cheek when he comes in to do a session he's all business he's completely professional I never have any problems trying to twist his arm to do one thing or another. He's always game for, yeah, sure. Let's try that in falsetto. Okay. Yeah. We can try that an octave lower, whatever. Um, and he always brings his a game. I mean, he really brings his a game and, uh, and I've seen him live so many times that I know he just completely gives 110% on the live performance. So it's in no way derogatory whatsoever, but it's, it's sort of this little backhanded compliment for the fact that, the dude can freaking blow on vocals. <laughs> Which is good a good thing to have around in your band. I mean, uh, it, yeah, generally, generally considered to be a benefit. Yeah. Yeah. When people say I blow, they mean something else. But uh we're not never this is one of those don't ask, don't tell kind of <laughs> Don't ask, don't tell. No, no. I, so is there any difficulty going from a, a project that is more structured? to this one or and vice versa is it kind of it is actually not a difficulty going from a more structured like being a sideman because i've been a sideman for years uh being a sideman in somebody else's project you you leave the ego at the door and you go in and you do the job that they want you to do okay not a problem uh in this case it's a really different kind of leaving the ego at the door you leave everyone in the in the band when they come to work together they leave their ego at the door and it's all a matter of mutual trust and confidence in each other to be able to say, well, what are we going to do today? Let's let's just go for it, you know? And then that's exactly what we do. It's a very unique and refreshing experience. So then are there plans to play, like, do you play live with the Grafenberg Disciples a lot? We have, <laughs> no, not a lot. Um, you know, touring, et cetera, these days is a very, uh, very financially risky endeavor. And uh, it's been, of course, we're also coming out of COVID. 
all of that kind of stuff. Those sort of delayed that part of the Grafenberg life cycle, if you will. So instead, um, we actually have our first gig coming up April 7th. It is our record release party. And we're opening for a local band, a really well-known, really popular band in the area called Achilles Wheel. And we're playing at the Auburn State Theater here in Auburn, California. And uh, we're gonna, this is going to be our first, first live performance. Uh, I am super excited. Maybe it's a little bit nervous, but super excited about it because uh, we're going to be able to play you know, probably eight or nine of our sort of cherry picked songs off the first two albums. And um, if it goes well, then we're going to see about doing some more because I definitely want to bring this to an audience uh, that feedback when you're playing and let's face it, I'm a ham too. So the combination of that is just, you know, yeah, let's do it. How long is the set supposed to be? And will you be doing any improvisation on um yes yes and yes uh the set is going to be a little bit over an hour which is pretty good for an opening band um like i said the achilles the achilles team is uh the achilles wheel team is they're all top-notch professionals and they're being extremely generous with us because of the fact they know that this is our record release party um and uh yeah there definitely will be some improv um i have been known to do a bass solo or two <laughs> and uh god knows what that's going to sound like because that's completely you know um uh, something i call the rectal retrieval method of uh bass playing <laughs> i'm gonna pull it out of my ass uh, yeah <laughs> and uh yeah so we'll have some fun with that um the live band is actually a little different uh it's going it's a, a six-piece band I mean, we sure. can't bring this stuff on stage with just a couple of guys. Um, so we've got this incredible drummer by the name of Jeff, uh, Jeff Tuttle, sorry, brain fart there. Jeff Tuttle from the Russian tribute band Rash. Okay. It was one of the things he was most known for. Uh, so he can do all the Neil stuff. So yeah. we brought him in. Uh, we've got um, Eric Barnett from uh, Fred Barchetta, which is another really well-known and real well-respected Rush tribute band. So we got the Alex Lifeson stuff handled. And then uh, Grant Reeves on sax, Jerry Merrill on keys, Hans on on vocals, of course, and then myself on all the flippity-flappity bass. So that leaves you the uh, Getty Lee role, yes. No, I, you know, I can't play like Getty. No, can't do it. I do more of a, uh, what I call playing cards in bicycle spokes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is uh, more along the lines of like Stanley Clark, Mark King, Level 42, um, Victor Wooten, yep, yep. Marcus Miller, you know, things like that. Playing cards and bicycles, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's also, oh, go ahead, Brett. Oh, no, no, go ahead. No, no, uh, no, no it's just that you also have an interesting promotion with the Cry a Million Tears mm-hmm. video you know that we haven't covered yet we should cover an opportunity for listeners to download the entire album uh, yes. i guess for free yes. so uh, please go into that okay so uh when we first released our, our biggest single thus far had been the no words tribute to to neil when neil passed away i realized there was going to be no more words from this this man and uh it just knock me sideways 
Okay. Um, I had been a really big fan of Rush and particularly of Neil in later years with his books and the motorcycle riding. So it's a hobby that I got into as a direct result of reading his books. And uh, so when we did this video, the Rush audience just opened its arms wide to us and accepted what we were doing to an amazing degree. And uh, we were able to link up with the Cedar sinai uh, fund that Neil had set up just before his death to research glioblastoma. And so money from the video and song was able to funnel to his, uh, to his cancer charity, which was wonderful. And so with the new video, I wanted to keep that going sort of to, to basically show our continued respect for the boys up north. Okay. And so what we did was we put a bunch of fresh Easter eggs. I'm a big fan of Easter eggs. I uh, can tell. <laughs> so we put a bunch of Easter eggs in these, uh, in the movie or in the little, little mini movie video thing. And uh, if you, the viewer go through the video and you um, take a look, everything that you notice as a rush Easter egg, okay? Some of them are pretty subtle, but you got to write them all down. Send it to info at thehighlanderco.com. And if you get them, you get them all right, we'll send you a free download of the entire album. Yeah, that, that is a lot of fun. And I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm sure I haven't hit them all. I bet, you know, if I watch it, it'll be like, oh, don't, 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 don't say anything. Don't say anything. Nope, nope, don't ruin it for the rest of us. <laughs> I haven't found them all yet. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, we're we're huge fans of Rush. I mean, being Canadian ourselves, uh, you know, Neil, it uh, was it was such a tragedy when when Neil passed away, and so yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing how many people he influenced, yeah, and in different ways too. Yes. Now, one of the things that I was very lucky in doing the No Words video was that I had um, when the song first came out. Um, I don't remember if I reached out to him or he reached out to me, but I became friends with Michael Mossbach, who was the gentleman who rode with Neil from place to place. Because, you know, Neil didn't fly. He would ride a motorcycle from gig mm -hmm. to gig. And um, Michael offered all of the video footage from the R40 tour, all the riding footage that he had recorded, uh, riding with Neil during that tour, the very last rush tour. So he offered that to me as, you know, for use in the video. And then he also reached out to a number of Neil's friends and they provided cameos for the video. And then we reached out and opened it up to fans worldwide and they sent in cameos of themselves with their favorite, favorite uh, Rush memorabilia and such. But one of the weirdest things happened was when I went down to Southern California to collect the material because it was too much to just, you know, send over the internet. And besides, it's, you know, rather sensitive. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, I went down with a hard drive down to meet uh, to Michael. And um, all of a sudden I realized what day it was. I hadn't had not put two and two together. And it actually was the one year anniversary of Neil's death. Oh, wow. The day that I was supposed to hook up with, with uh, Michael. So um, the way I like to say it is this, and this is just completely blew my mind. Um, well, first off, I called Michael. I said, are you sure you want to do this today? knowing what it is. And he says, yeah, yeah, come on, come on over. So balloon or not on the one year anniversary of his death, I was actually sitting in the salon of a yacht in Southern California, 
drinking scotch that was old enough to vote with two of Neil's best friends. I mean, literally his best friends uh, besides, you know, the boys from work, as he called them, <laughs> um, or the guys from work is what he called them. Um, and they were telling me all the shenanigans they used to get up to while they weren't on tour or the stuff they would get into on the road or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was amazing. Now, the funny thing is it was only about a 15 minute walk from my hotel to the marina. But at the end of the night, after, you know, having so much fun, it was like a 45 minute walk back. The difference was staggering. <laughs> That's quite the that is quite the luck, but uh, but yeah, I mean, really, what an ideal day to to I mean, for them too, probably to to sit and reminisce about Neil and just and just everything that uh, that he meant. Yeah, it was. Um, there was a lot of a lot of moments like that during the making of that that uh, that video and that that song. Um, one of the things that was that happened when we were actually recording the song. And Greg was playing on it. Now, I don't know if you know that Greg and Neil were friends. Okay. They had done a uh, the Burning for Buddy tribute. Yeah. Which is uh, kind of interesting because um, I didn't really realize it, but Neil wanted to learn more about Buddy Rich's style, swing jazz. And that's sort of mama's milk for Greg. He, he kind of grew up in the swing uh, thing. First, His first gig was playing for uh, uh, Maynard Ferguson. Okay, before he even joined the David Lee Roth band. And um, so the two of them used to actually sit. They would set up two drum kits in Greg's living room. sit face to face and they would jam. They would jam swing jazz charts. Okay, And um, so as we're. We're in the studio, Greg gets done playing the track, gets done recording the track and he comes in and we're about to run down the song on the monitors. And we start playing back and I can already tell that we have something, we have something really magical, something special is happening. And I look over at Greg and he's kind of, I'm in the back of the, the room on a couch, engineers in front of me, big speakers, big monster speakers up on the wall. And Greg always sits at this little card table off to the, off to my left. And he has, you know, writes down his, his little charts and stuff like that. And uh, I'm looking at him, he's got his head down. And he looks up at me and his eyes are all red and he's got tears going down his face. And I said, hey, Frank, Frank, stop, 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 play, play back. Uh, what's wrong, Greg? Are you okay? And he says, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I just never thought I'd be playing with Neil again. Mm. And the thing was, uh, there were parts from two other songs you know, that Greg, uh, Neil had done for Rush that were used as percussion elements in the song. So he literally was playing along with his old friend. So yeah, that gave all of us goosebumps. Yeah. And it was at that point we knew we had something really, really special. Oh, that it, yeah, that's amazing for sure. I mean, yeah, that's a heavy story. <laughs> <laughs> that's a heavy story. That's that's quite remarkable. Yeah. Well, Greg is just a really cool guy. He doesn't talk about a lot of stuff. He just is focused on, he doesn't name drop. He doesn't, you know, try and associate, just does his job and he does his job exceptionally well. Uh, so for him to share that little bit of, you know, history was, you could tell he was, he was having a, a moment there. 
it was kind of kind of painful for him. But it was um I still am pretty happy with with how it worked out, how the song turned out, how the video turned out, and the fact that we were able to help raise money for his uh, his fund. Well, it's it's just you know it it speaks to the universal like you know music as the universal language and just how important it is to all of us. It's amazing that twelve organized tones can mean so much to this species. Yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. Thank God for having something to do. Really mind blowing. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just thankful because it gives me something to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because <laughs> and it gives us people to talk to. Otherwise, you know, we just be we just be sitting <laughs> here staring at the nothing. computer. Just, you know. <laughs> yeah, hey. talk to about 400 musicians at this point, and wow. we're still hearing new stuff, and uh, you know, both musically and. It, answers from people it's uh, uh you know it, it's a, a limitless well of uh, creativity but you know i gotta i gotta say um you know in the past it was always the record company that were the gatekeepers and the curators for music okay um they're the ones that decided what the audience heard what was out there what wasn't out there um let's face it major labels are broken these days they don't know what they're doing they don't know how to do it they don't even know you know they, they used to sell shiny silver discs mm-hmm. okay that's gone and now they're going what do we do what do we do now the reason music is kept alive the reason especially genres like this are are actually still thriving it are guys like you the two of you guys are the ones that are new the new gatekeepers you're the new curators you're the new ones to help the Sherpas that help people discover new music. And so, you know, you really hats off to, to both of you. It's a very important. I like that. Yeah. yeah, no, that that's good. You should talk a little bit more about what you think about us. <laughs> <laughs> and such snappy dressers. <laughs> Hardly that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we dress like we're on the radio. That's for sure. <laughs> that nope. is for sure. Yeah, actually, uh, for the longest time, because um, I've got a little bit of a lower voice, and uh, I used to hear all the time that uh, I should be on radio. I've got a voice for radio. My wife actually says that I have a face for radio. Ah, yes, yes. Well, we all know about those kind of things. <laughs> she's the, yeah, but it, but she already married you, so I mean, she's she's bought the bought the cow. She's know, bought so the cow. Yeah, yeah. So she's got bull for the rest of her life. <laughs> Very nice. So, how how often do you you like kind of practice the bass and and fiddle around with it? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, uh, not as much as I should. I really, uh, but right now, um, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm living that, uh, uh, was that money for nothing song? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I got a blister on my finger and, a, you know, et cetera. I literally do have blisters on my fingers because I am trying to build up the calluses, uh, necessary to be able to play for an hour straight. And, um, um, it's painful. <laughs> But yeah, no, I I am I'm I'm at least I'm practicing at least an hour and a half to two hours a day at this point to you know get the, the stuff worked up and and try and remember all the stuff. I'm not as young as I used to be, and um, but in the past, um, you know, to be honest with you, 
with everything else going on and all the number of uh, of bands that I have and the record label and you know the video production company and such, it could be a couple months between uh, times when I get to pick up the bass, which is a oh. shame. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to change that in 23. <laughs> actually get out and uh, and play on the road because you know i mean I, there is nothing like the live experience that's for sure no no um and just being able to get up there and just be a goofball for an hour you know it's just too much fun just too much fun <laughs> i love it when i i can tell the band is having fun it, yes. it helps me have, have fun you know it's it's a symbiotic relationship there's an energy exchange that happens in no other situation. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the the best part of this particular band is that everybody in the band uh, gets along. We're all good friends and we all like to make fun of each other. So me being the boss, they are going to gang up on me mercilessly. <laughs> on I just know this, you know, and probably at, at the end of the end of the thing, you're going to see me quivering and whimpering in a fetal position <laughs> in the corner of the stage. But it's all in good fun. We have a good time with it. Um, but I just know that there's going to be really fun barbs going back and forth, you know, either on mic or off mic. The problem is, I think it's going to be a contest as to who can make who crack up first and who can make who crack up the longest. You know, so there's, yeah, there's sort of like this Olympic level competition going on stage. <laughs> yes, you can ju- just, just take the, uh, take the, like, you know, your, uh, your record label uh, uh, thought process and just be like, nope, not me. Nope, play in the bass. Oh, oh. No, but you know something, uh, the thing is, I just know that, unfortunately, I probably will instigate it. And then at that point, it's all over with, you know, it's like. It's like the, the kids at the back of the class, you know, we're in the two troublemakers. You you don't want one troublemaker to look at the other because then at that point it's all lost. You know, everybody in the band is that troublemaker at the back. of the class. Okay? <laughs> and as soon as we start looking at each other, it's, it, it's all over, man. The giggles are just going to go all over the place. It's lost. We've lost the battle. Yeah. Rip the bandaid off early and just get it and just see where you go from there. I think so. I think so. And then we'll just have to refund tickets afterwards, I guess. <laughs> or up against the clock on our time with you here. And we want to give you the opportunity to promote yourself and uh, everything you guys have coming up. So this is, this is it. This is your, your time. Forget about me. Act like me and Brett aren't even here. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> actually well, maybe not uh, quite that much <laughs> no uh i think we've said everything that we need to say um i really th- want to thank you guys for giving me the opportunity here uh the first gig coming up april 7th at the auburn state theater in uh, auburn california it's very important to us so if people can come out and check us out it's auburnstate.org or auburnstatetheater.org is where they can get tickets uh the album comes out on all your favorite digital sources on april 7th um, you know, so you, you like going to Amazon, go to Amazon. You like going to iTunes, go to a- iTunes. It'll be there. And then uh, we have our own channel on YouTube. Look for the Graffenberg Disciples, and you'll see all of our various fun stuff that we're doing. And we, like I said, we've got several more in the can and in the works. And um, we're looking forward to sharing those with you as soon as possible. And, you know, Hans is great. Hans is great. Like, uh, you know, he sings awesome. Um, um, and, you know, 
there there might be like a you know bass player somebody else <laughs> there's a few other guys in you, there but some you know, other guys but you know Hans they're really <laughs> yeah it's, it's Marsh's world we just live in it you know we just you know yeah I'll be honest I'll be looking up uh, the uh, the actress again Eve I think you said her name was like I can't Eve it, Moreau M A Beyond Beyond Lovely um, yes. in that music video so I and was, and you know the best part the best part about Eve is she is extremely talented extremely skilled she is absolutely an artisan uh, but she is also funny as hell off off camera oh my gosh you really yeah, she had us in stitches. Just with and and she is just this rebellious, I don't give a hoot kind of person. <laughs> just wonderful. She she really made the whole experience uh, very easy, very enjoyable, and uh, very efficient. It was it was really wonderful working with her. I get the feeling she might have used the word other than hoot. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Of course not. No, I mean, though those words rarely come out of a musician's mouth. No, <laughs> for unlawful carnal knowledge. That's <laughs> yes. right. That's, That's right. Well, thank you so much for the time. This has been absolutely wonderful. Great you. conversation. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. Yep, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best, and uh, and we urge everybody to go out and listen to to everything you've done because it's wonderful, and we dig it. We're going to be listening when uh, when April seventh rolls around. So, so thank you so much, Bob, and uh, right, we'll talk you to you guys. again. Thank you. All right, bye for now.
say 